Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the ESPN Formula One podcast. Alexis Tunis, Nate Saunders, and Lawrence Edmondson back with you as we have Turkey in our sights. The Turkish Grand Prix is the next stop on the Formula One calendar. So we'll be looking ahead to that. We'll also be taking your bold predictions in that and Nate's bald predictions coming up later on in the show. It feels like it's been ages since I've seen you guys. And in that time, we've managed to enter another lockdown here in the UK. So how have you been? (laughs) Yeah, good. It has been a while. I'm trying to remember. I've had to get my head around F1 stuff this week. It does seem like it's been a while since we've we've all spoken about it. uh, Nate's probably still recovering from his birthday, we should mention, which was last Friday. Exactly. So so he's had a little bit of... It was the first day day of lockdown. So it was was almost like an enforced day just at home drinking and watching movies. It was great. I mean, that is actually brilliant. You could join the long list of lockdown birthdays that we've all, I suppose, had to have in this brilliant year. That's been 2020 so far. Like I said, it's not even really been a week of lockdown, but I still feel like it's been almost a year. It kind of feels like a year of lockdown anyway, but um, here we go once again. At least they haven't locked down the sports. So we can still talk about that and still have that to look forward to, even though we can't really leave our houses as freely as we want to so far. And as we said, there's been a break, so that means we're ready for action again turkey is where we're setting our sights that's the next stop on the formula one calendar but first things first before we preview what we can expect from the circuit there as usual you know we like to pay off some of the news stories that definitely have been dropping in this little break weekend i suppose we can call it and none bigger than the fact that the 2021 formula one calendar has been published and it has thrown up a number of talking points so to speak One being that it's got 23 races, the most ever that we've seen. So that's, I suppose, a new record, whether it's going to be hectic or whether it's going to be something that we welcome remains to be seen. But Lawrence, what are some of the um, additional details there? Well, it is 23 races, but in reality, it's all subject to COVID, really. I mean, F1 didn't say that in their release. They're quite bullish about the fact that they're going to go and have 23 races next year and they're confident fans are going to be allowed back in. And that would be great. And of course, it's what we all want. But, you know, you can't hide from this pandemic. And uh, we're hoping very much that, you know, advances in vaccines and so on means that we can return to normal. And by March, which is when the season's meant to get underway in Australia, uh, back in Melbourne, the place where we all of a sudden had to abandon this year's Australian Grand Prix uh, amid uh, COVID scares, hopefully everything will get back underway again. But yeah, it is worth mentioning that Although F1's been very clear on this, this is the calendar they want, it could still change beyond the stuff that we'll talk about in a minute that could change in any way. Uh, there could be major changes if, uh, depending on how the world deals with COVID-19. But the fact that, as you mentioned just now, F1 is continuing, even though we've got lockdowns across Europe, uh, but we're going to continue with a race in Turkey this weekend, and we're set to go to the Middle East for two in Bahrain and one Abu Dhabi, kind of bodes well for uh, you know the idea that governments are welcoming Formula One despite everything that's going on. So yeah, that, that, that's the first bit. But you know, plenty to talk about. Um, not least the fact that Vietnam, uh, I think a race that a lot of people were looking forward to and was kind of heralded by Liberty Media, the owners of Formula One, as being their big project taken to a destination city, uh, Hanoi, which is a fantastic city. And, uh, and setting up a track there. They said the track was going to incorporate all these different parts of different circuits to make it exciting, brilliant for racing. And now it's not on the 2021 calendar. 
And uh, yeah, slightly complicated why it's not there, but um, but it's not. So uh, yeah, that, that that was the biggest surprise I think from from the announcement. Nate, what are your thoughts on the what should be a packed year next year? But as Lawrence mentioned, it all depends on this coronavirus pandemic, and we're still saying hopefully we can get it somewhat under control so we can have all of this. But twenty three races sounds um, something to look forward to, I suppose. Yeah, to a degree. I think I've always been one that says we should have fewer races on the on the calendar purely because the fewer races you have, I think the more prestige, uh, prestigious each event is. You know, when you start getting to 23, we'll be at 25 soon. And I think by the end of the decade, you'll be looking at like a 30 race calendar because all these races bring in a lot of money. Too much of a good it thing. It just begins. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the best things, you know, like there's discussions in the NFL at the moment about expanding the playoffs out. And one of the great things about the NFL playoffs is that it's always been the same. And there's, you know, there's one Super Bowl. You don't have a bunch of them through the year. Um, so yeah, it, I'm kind of, my, my enthusiasm for it's limited slightly. I'm excited by um, the prospect of the the gap that has been left by Vietnam, that's now TBC. And um, we've always said that the races that have come on this year is a good opportunity for you know, races to maybe come back that we've seen this season, like Mugello, Portimao, Imola. Uh, Malaysia seems like one that it could be uh, could be placed there. So some things to be excited about. Um, but when you look at how long the calendar is as well, and we expect that Lewis is going to be the dominant one next season, I, I was looking there and I was like, at what point am I going to zone out next season and just say, well, Lewis has won the championship and there's nothing else to race for. And it's going to be before halfway, I think. So, you know, from that point of view, more races is not a good thing. But I don't want to be completely negative about it. It's great to see F1 having a calendar like that. And as Laz said, it's um, coronavirus dependent. But um, it's good that F1's being proactive and saying, here's the calendar. And then if we need to, we'll work around it. And we, as we saw this year, they deserve huge credit for getting on the season that we've we've actually been able to enjoy so far. Because at one point, we didn't think we we're going to have many races on at all. So um, yeah, pretty encouraging to see it. 23 races indeed bring that on of course like we said it is still up in the air so there is a controversial admission that we'll get to that in a bit but let's continue to talk about a little bit about the vietnam admission is this um even though we know that there's 23 races and as nate was saying you know do we get to a point where there's probably 30 races you know in a in a season um no doubt that given the fact that we've also explored uncharted territory and it's either gone for better or for worse for some this year so it may give them a um I guess a, a campaign to be on the calendar sometime in the near future. Does this bury the Vietnam idea? Are there talks of it at least trying to be able to squeeze it in at some point, if not next year, year after, or um, what kind of a situation have they been left in? Yeah, so it, it, it's not happening next year. And F1 were quite clear to point out that this isn't down to COVID. Of course, you know, they're talking about going to lots of places. So uh, they were, it wasn't a COVID reason, it was a local political reason. Um, the Hanoi People's Committee chairman uh, has been arrested for the appropriation of documents containing state secrets. And um, he was one of the main champions of the race. It was kind of, you know, his baby. He was, he was one of the guys who was really carrying it and pushing it forward politically. And his arrest has kind of stopped everything in its tracks. But the remarkable thing is in February this year, we got photos through of this complete racetrack, grandstands, fully built, uh, a new pit and paddock complex, uh, an impressive pit and paddock complex, you know, it's very similar to the kind of ones you see at permanent circuits, Uh, is all there and it's all kind of ready to go and it looks like it won't. So it seems very political out there. It seems very much dependent on uh, money and making sure, you know, it makes sense for um, the companies behind it in Vietnam. 
And I think if all of that can be sorted out, F1 would welcome Vietnam onto the calendar. I think F1 would like it as well, because as I mentioned earlier, this was their project as well. This was their first all new circuit. Okay, they've got the Dutch Grand Prix coming back at Zandvoort and, you know, there's uh, various other ones, which we'll talk about in a bit. But this was the first project that they kind of put together from the ground up. And so uh, they were very keen to champion it as this is, you know, what Formula One can be like, taking it to a really exciting uh, city, uh, trying to attract um, tourists as well as locals and kind of bring the sport to people like that. And so for it to fall apart is not great for Formula One, but unless those uh, the political will can be found to get behind it in Vietnam, I, I don't see how, how it's going to go forward. I have to admit, I'm not an expert on the politics that are going on there. And uh, I, I wouldn't like to speculate too much on whether it will all be sorted within a year. But from what we've been told, this isn't going to happen next year. And beyond that is an unknown. Oh, there's a lot of unknowns as we go forward, indeed. Well, I think I've got the feeling that's going to become like the, the New Jersey race that was on and off the calendar for years and years and never actually happened. You know, it's going to be something that they're going to try and get on. I think it'll be a, there'll be a provisional space in the calendar going forward because it's not something they're just going to abandon. Um, and yeah, and Lawrence is right about it being their project. And also, let's not forget that the Miami race that Liberty has been pushing for is also in a very similar situation. So from Liberty's perspective, this isn't the best thing that could have happened for them because the two big races, the Dutch Grand Prix is one they've brought back. And, you know, I think that was probably the easiest one of those that they were going to secure back. But you've now got Vietnam and you've got um, the Miami races both kind of in flux. And those are two big races that there's been a lot of talk about, a lot of speculation about and as it stands, neither are on this year's uh, on next year's calendar, and it looks unlikely at the moment they'll be on calendars going forward. So, yeah, not the best uh, time if you're the team negotiating that for for Liberty. But I suppose it's it's not a bad thing when you can hide it amongst twenty three other races that are on on the calendar. It doesn't look so bad. <laughs> exactly, there's still quite a lot going on um, on there. But as I say, one man's loss is another man's game, and controversially. Saudi Arabia has been added to the calendar, the penultimate um, race that we're expecting come for the 2021 season. Um, this has definitely been, uh, I suppose, a, a big talking point. Um, from what I've seen, a lot of the comments are actually against this and no surprise there. It has to do with um, the human rights issues that we know are less than savory going on um, in that country. Nate as well, a couple of weeks ago had a mini rant i want to call it and and rightfully so but nate now that it's official now that we know that saudi arabia is set to make their debut and not just a debut but we're hearing a long-term um part of the formula one calendar up to like 10 years at the very least we will see and those involved the powers that be seem to still be quite defiant you know in the face of criticism and i suppose you have to be but nate what are just your thoughts on just how this all came to be so I've got no problem with F1 going to race in a place like that. My main issue with it, well, I do, but my main issue is with the messaging that they then give out and the the whole we race as one, the whole sustainability. It's just it just is kind of hypocritical of that, you know. And if you're gonna go and race in a place like Saudi, you can't then come out and be like, oh, but you know, we're still committed to those things because it kind of is just a slap in the face to those kind of ideals. So that's my main issue issue with it, and I think F1. There's a lot of people who are very, very good at spinning a narrative who work in Formula One now. I think that that's one thing that since Bernie's gone, a lot of people have come in from corporate backgrounds who can do that. And fair play, like that's how businesses are run. Uh, but it just doesn't sit well with me. And looking at that race, I, I haven't even, I haven't even, usually when there's a, a race on, a new race, I'll look at it on YouTube. People have put, you know, 
what they think the track might look like, what it might look I don't know anything about this race because I haven't read about it and I just, I can't get excited by it. Uh, maybe I will next year, but you know, a lot of these races when they get designed as well, the tracks aren't that great. So we'll see what happens. Maybe the track itself will prove me wrong, but um, it's certainly one that I haven't, I'm not jumping in my seat, you know, thinking, oh, I can't wait until we see that race because it's just it's just a bit... And it's so low down the calendar as well. Maybe that's yeah. the other thing. <laughs> I know, it's so I, far away. It's this time next year. I do feel for you in that one. I agree with you definitely um, in that one. Lawrence, where, where do you stand in it? Because I was reading too, and it on paper, I suppose, it does sound like a brilliant kind of nighttime street race kind of plan that they're hoping for. Is this something that you want to see long-term as we are hearing it should be or it will be? Well, the... Um... I think the long-term plan is actually to move it to a purpose-built track uh, closer to Riyadh. So the Jeddah circuit will be um, probably a couple of years, depending on basically how long that uh, construction takes. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not really for bringing street circuits to F1 anyway, but, but I mean, th- this isn't really the main point here. You know, I, I agree with Nate. The, the main point is questioning why we're going there. And there's, you know, this argument that F1 has kind of put out loosely that, you know, we go to places and we bring our kind of values and hopefully we can bring about change. And it's it's nonsense because you look at a lot of the other places we currently race, which also have uh, questionable human rights records, Bahrain, China, Russia, and um, F1's brought no change to any of those. Uh, and it's been in Bahrain since 2004. And the same people are in charge and the same basic political structure is there. And there's been an uprising in that time that was, you know, quashed. So it's... I, I, I don't get behind this argument that F1 and sport can go and bring about change if it's doing it the way it's doing it, which is in the meantime taking a huge amount of money in race fees. You know, it's not on F1's terms to dictate to these countries uh, the, the way things are because they're taking the money. It's these t- these countries get the opportunity to use F1 to promote themselves around the world, and F1 has to ask itself, does it want to do that? And I think um, the commercial side of it clearly. They need money. That's how this sport keeps going. You know, a lot of the things we love about the sport are based on the fact that it rakes in a lot of money from around the world. But if anything, this is probably the FIA's chance to stand up, the governing body, and say, look, you know, we've got to set principles out there. Uh, you know, we, we want to align with certain beliefs. And it's up to them where they, where they place that. And obviously where they place it is to allow Saudi within that. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's a tricky one for F1. And I think, you know, it's only right that uh, we as journalists and uh, also the fans as well through social media ask questions of it because, um, you know, it, I think F1 does need to give an answer. And so far it's hidden behind this single statement. They won't put anybody up for interview. Um, and uh, I think, you know, that's not really the way they should be going about it, especially... You know, if they really, if they genuinely do believe they can bring about change and stuff like that, you know, they, they need to put people out there to explain how they're going to do it. Because on the face of it, I, I don't really see that happening. Uh, as a racetrack, it may be great. I haven't seen the plans yet either. I, I don't think there are any plans out there as far as I'm aware. All I've heard is that it will be a night race. It will go along the Corniche, which is the seafront in Jeddah. Um, so, I don't know, maybe we can expect something a bit, bit like Baku in style. But, um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what what comes out but um i think there's a bigger thing to talk about here and uh no one at formula one or the fia is talking about it so that's a little bit frustrating it is frustrating and just just adding on that i remember when saudi hosted the race of champions which you know used to take place every january um the messaging around that was um oh but you know saudi's it's this progressive nation they let women drive now 
like on their own. And that was everyone who was involved in that race kept saying, "Oh, but women can drive now." And it was like, "Well, I don't understand." <laughs> like, great, like I d- That's doesn't really go and give them like an inter- this far in the future. <laughs> yeah, like you don't you don't go and give them an international sporting event because they're doing something that the rest of the civilized world is doing. You know, has has been has obviously been in place for long for ages. So I'm expecting a lot of stuff like that over the next couple of years where we hear these kind of. I guess false equivalencies of people saying, "Well, look how progressive Saudi is," and it will be, "Well, they're doing something that they should have been doing anyway," and that really just sits—it just doesn't sit well with me. Because I'd rather somebody came out and just said, "Look, they're paying us a lot of money. It's going to be an event that's lucrative for Formula One." I still think that that's shady, but at least it's being honest, and everyone else knows that's the reason. But you get all of this, all this PR, all this spin. It's just—it's just, yeah, it's hard to get behind. I agree. I, I remember talking to Alejandro Gag about this. He's the uh, chairman at. Um, he was the CEO at the time and it was just before their first race in Saudi Arabia. Formerly had been there for a couple of years now, I think. And uh, and he said, well, you know, if you look at what countries are doing, if you look at what business is doing, there's no sanctions against Saudi Arabia at this time. And in fact, the US and the UK have actually been quite close allies with Saudi Arabia on a number of things. And clearly the doors have been left open there for communication. So I think that is, if you're going to do this as a sport, that's the best argument is to say, look, there's nothing legally stopping us. You may not agree with it, but, you know, we're going to go there and, and, and do our thing and, and take our money because, you know, they're not the only company in the world doing business with Saudi Arabia. But, um, but F1 hasn't really said that. It's kind of just said, you know, well, we, we're aware of human rights issues and, you know, we, we make clear to our partners... Uh, what we expect, uh, but that's as far as they've gone. So, like I said, I, I think the big frustration on it is is a lack of communication from um, Formula One and the FIA on on how this decision was come to. And uh, you know, I guess it's a question that's not going to go away because it sounds like it's there for long term. So maybe maybe we'll get an answer in the future. Maybe we will because it is, like you said, quite frustrating from a lot of the comments that I have been seeing, especially in a year where we have seen sports play such a massive role in bringing about or trying to bring about, you know, social justice, social change, you know, for human rights issues and whatnot. Um, You would expect them to either you know make the stand or not you know uh, even though i know that obviously millions and millions and gazillions are probably involved and that also makes it a bit harder sadly but with all this um backlash and as lawrence pointed out it's no nothing new we've seen it with russia we've seen it with china we've seen it with bahrain and still things go on business as usual but do you foresee it ever getting to a point where this could actually be contested where this could actually be brought to another level whether it starts you know with the drivers themselves and or other teams kind of um taking a stand i think it it actually puts those people into an awkward situation in in a way especially and you know drivers i think drivers would always be on the same hymn sheet you know lewis was kind of Lewis Hamilton was kind of he was like oh I haven't you know I haven't read enough about the subject and stuff which I mean Lawrence and I spoke about was kind of annoying to hear because Lewis has been such so outspoken about other issues this year it's strange that he wouldn't be outspoken on on Saudi but for for ordinary people working in Formula One there's a lot of people I know who you know are weighing up the fact of like we might have to work with the you know people promoting the Saudi race for some of the things we do and that then becomes a question of livelihoods for people so you're going to have a situation where people have to, if, if it's on the calendar, you have to go and work with it. So it actually puts kind of the ordinary people working in Formula One into a, an odd situation. I don't think drivers are going to speak out against it. We saw that with the Bahrain protest years ago. You know, it was very much like, well, you know, we're just competitors, we're just athletes. And that is a debate in itself that's happened at Olympics before, you know, when you know athletes have been expected to boycott events back in the 80s. And they were like, well, 
you know, it's nothing to do with me. I'm just here to compete. I didn't choose where the event was. So I don't think anything like that, like that will happen. I think the only thing that would take it off the calendar would be if something awful happened in Saudi in the lead up to it and F1 decided we can't be seen to go here, you know, if there was something like that. So I think it's pretty much set in stone. But that's just my take on what I've seen so far. All right. Well, judging by this conversation, I mean, I can tell that this is probably not the last time we will be revisiting this topic. Um, there's more to come. We will see exactly what does transpire. We're still a year away because it should be around this time or in this month next year, all pending, you know, this coronavirus pandemic that's going on. But just still to wrap up things on the calendar now, one of the other topics of conversation that's come out from it is Brazil's there. And Brazil is there with a nice little asterisk because it is up in the air. It is tentatively speaking. Um, but Lawrence, one of the things that I, I suppose the conversation is about is that we know that it's usually been in Sao Paulo. We were expecting to see Rio knowing that there is supposed to be a new track being built there. However, it seems to be back in Sao Paulo and not in Rio. So uh, more details on why that is and if it could probably change and why it is so up in the air. Yeah, it's um, it's done with an asterisk subject contract, which is the same as Barcelona. And I think that's just because this calendar has been published slightly before those contracts have been signed off but as far as we know it will definitely be in in Telagos and not Rio and not least because Rio is very 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 unlikely to have that circuit ready in time and um, it's a controversial circuit anyway because uh, the construction of it will result in the felling of thousands of trees in uh, quite a precious Heartbreak. piece of uh, of rainforest in Rio and you know I think again we talk about F1's policies around you know, trying to make itself carbon neutral and stuff like that. And I, that doesn't sit well with it. Um, and as Lewis Hamilton pointed out on this issue, why build a new circuit when we've got a perfectly good one in Sao Paulo? Now, the previous reason for that was that the promoter at Interlagos in Sao Paulo um, was at odds with Formula One. Essentially, he had done a deal with Bernie Eccleston just before Bernie had left. Uh, for 2018, 19 and 2020 races to go ahead without um, Interlagos paying a fee or at least a significant fee to Formula One. And uh, there was only really uh, one person who was coming rich out of that uh, deal and that was the promoter. So F1 didn't want to continue uh, down that route, but they were willing to negotiate a new deal and that's exactly what they've got. Um, I believe it's uh, five years, but it's because it's all subject to contracts and stuff. I don't know if that if if that got confirmed, but I think for F one this is great news because we talk about you know these wonderful uh, tracks like Mugello and Portimao and and so on. Well, Interlagos uh, is arguably a better track than all of those, and it has a real kind of history and it's got real atmosphere when you go there. It's one of my favorite trips of the year, just because when that place is full of Brazilians who absolutely love their F1. You know, it's still uh, the biggest TV market uh, by country in the world for Formula One. So um, I think that's something important to nurture. And when you've got a home like Interlagos for Formula One, it would be such a shame to lose that. And I can understand from a financial point of view why F1 weren't willing to continue with the contract uh, they had up until this year. Of course, the race didn't happen this year because of COVID. Uh, But going forward, it seems like they've found a way around that and I suspect, I don't know for certain, but it sounds to me a little bit like the Rio idea might just slowly kind of disappear. It's got, 
it's got a lot of political backing in Rio. And again, it's, it seems to be very much a local political issue and, and which way that falls. So it may depend on elections and so on as to, as to whether it gets the backing and goes ahead. But um, I would love and I really hope that, you know, that F1 can just stay at Interlagos. You know, it's a, it is a fantastic circuit and we've had so much history there. I'd like to see it as the final race on the calendar like it used to be. Um, I was there in 2012 when it was the final race and Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel were both up for the title. It went down to the wire. Uh, it was, again, just such an incredible atmosphere. Uh, such a dramatic circuit venue. The weather was all over the place. It was raining, then it wasn't. And uh, that's the kind of thing that you just don't get when you go to Abu Dhabi for a season finale, which we've done a number of times. Usually the season's actually already wrapped up by then. But um, yeah, I've been to a season finale in Abu Dhabi. I've been to one in Brazil and Brazil was just so much better. So uh, that would be my hope. But at least it's staying on the, on the calendar. So that's a start. And then, you know, I'm, I don't think it'll ever make it to the final slot because we know Abu Dhabi pays quite a lot of money for that. But um, yeah, you know, in an ideal world, we'd probably shift a few races around on the calendar. Uh, but yeah, great, great to see it continue. Great to see it continue, indeed. Absolutely love Brazil. Love, love, love it. Oh, kicking over my mic here. But uh, anyway, that's all the calendar talk we have now. I knew there was going to be a lot to unpack there, and there's still a lot more to unpack there. I haven't even touched Turkey previews yet, but just paying off some more news stories. Let's talk Roman Grosjean. Not the best week for him. Um, I suppose I know he's contemplating his future, but we just want to talk about quickly some comments that he made recently, um, saying that he's not a fan of radio messages being broadcast. I know that's something that we as a journalist and viewers do obviously love because it gives us... Um, you know, a nice little insight as to exactly what's going on since none of us can be in that seat at that moment, probably ever, because I'm definitely not that skilled. Um, and, you know, it is a nice addition for the broadcast, but obviously, as you can see with some of the drivers, we know that Lando Norris got um, a little bit in trouble for some recent comments, had to apologize. Max Verstappen as well got um, in trouble for some comments, had to, uh, had to apologize there as well. And now it's just begging the issue that, you know, does it put the drivers as well in an uncomfortable situation? Because they are caught up in the heat of the moment. Understandable things are going to be said, but um, where do you guys stand on it? Because, you know, can you feel for what Grosjean and the rest of them must be feeling? I think they absolutely should be part of the broadcast. I think if you actually look at races we've had this year, if you took the broadcast element, sorry, the, radio, the broadcasted radio messages out of the equation, it's when you're watching it, even if you have the commentary, it, it adds so much to those events, especially when there's you know a strategic battle going on or there's some team orders controversy or even when two people have collided and you can hear what they say after. I think it adds so much to the spectacle. So F1 should keep them in. I think that the key is that people need to understand that those comments are made in the heat of the moment you know if somebody says something about another driver it always has to come with the asterisk of well he said that you know after they both collided and he hasn't seen the replay you know the famous the, the one I always think about and I think Grosjean probably had this in mind is that when he crashed out under the safety car in Baku a couple of years ago um, Gary Gannon who was his engineer who didn't and I've spoken to Gary Gannon since this didn't see the replay and so had just seen that Ericsson was right behind Grosjean at the time so he famously said I think I think Ericsson hits us but then for everybody watching the countless replays after, it was clear that Grosjean had just spun out on his own, hit the wall. And there was then an onboard with Ericsson. He's nowhere near. And then that became, and, and a lot of people, if you ask them, they'll, they'll say, oh, Grosjean said Ericsson hits us, which A, is wrong. It was his engineer. But that's kind of where you get to. You end up getting to this kind of, it almost becomes a meme. And just looking at it from 
another perspective, you know, Lewis Hamilton is always going back and forth with Peter Bonington, and those radio messages are really entertaining, and you probably hear a disproportionate amount of Lewis's messages compared to the other guys because he's in the lead. But I think that that can reinforce a view of Lewis that he's kind of arrogant, that he's maybe a bad loser, or that you know he he goes the way he goes back and forth with Peter Bonington. Sometimes you know it seems like he's really angry with Bonington, and those race engineers need to have a really thick skin to deal with that. But it's always super impressive how Lewis troubleshoots those races on the fly. I think so. It does add a huge level to it. I think the key is that people have to understand the nature of those. If somebody then gets out of the car and half an hour later is still effing and blinding about another driver, you know, when Hulkenberg and Magnussen had their clash a few years ago, they'd been able to cool down a bit and they'd and they'd come out of the car and they'd had time to think about it, see the instance. And then that, I think, is more relevant to you know, what they've said afterwards. When Verstappen and Ocon, well, when Verstappen went and pushed Ocon after Brazil two years ago, that he'd had time to get out of the car and you know he's still in the heat of the moment but at least then it's kind of like well okay he's had time to think about this now so I sympathize with him to a degree but at the same time you know F1 drivers are paid a lot of money so I don't sympathize with them that much that stuff they're saying while they're racing F1 cars is broadcast um, because I think most of them have the chance to backtrack in the media um, and are given fair chance to do that so um, but yeah that's my take on it I think it's one of the things that sets F1 apart from other sports. You know, we don't, you often pick up things on, on the mic and like ref mic in rugby and so on, but it's so great that we can actually hear live the reactions of a driver while they're going through uh, an incident or just after an incident. And um, yeah, I think that's fantastic. It adds a huge amount of entertainment value to it. The drivers all know that what they say could could be put out there, but obviously it's quite easy to forget that in the heat of the moment. But that's what makes those comments so raw and so uh, and so kind of human. And, and and I think that's the thing that really makes it a wonderful thing because by the time a driver gets to the press pen or by the time he gets to a press conference afterwards, he can, you know, the press officers can get to them and they can calm them down and all this kind of stuff. But that is the initial raw reaction. And I think, you know, that's what people want. And for the most part, you can understand why a driver says what they say. You might not always agree with it, but you can understand it. It's relatable. And that's that's what makes it interesting. If Fernando Alonso was another one who always felt that he was being picked on, especially. And he probably was because F1, again, for entertainment purposes, use these radio messages to create either to give you more information or just to kind of give you some of the human reaction. And so Fernando Alonso was particularly expressive on on his radio. And his famous one uh, was at the Japanese Grand Prix, Honda's home Grand Prix. The Honda engine had been awful all year, and he called it a GP2 engine. And back then, GP2 was the series under Formula One, of course, have less powerful engines and the rest of it. So um, everyone knew exactly what he was getting at. And he, I think he later said that, you know, oh, well, I didn't want it to be published and all that. I think he knew absolutely that was going out there. And he knew the moment he said it, that F1 would pick up on it and put it out there. And it was a real kind of warning shot across Honda's bowels. Get your engine sorted or, you know, I'm off. And that relationship eventually completely deteriorated. And that was an early sign of it. But that's, you know, that helps us create such more of a narrative around these races and around these drivers. And um, I think that's that's so valuable to the sport. So, yeah, the drivers are going to say things... Um, Sometimes which they wish they didn't, you know, I mean, we, we, we can all do that at times. So I, I, I think having that there is, is, is just a fantastic bit of entertainment. And it's something which, um, yeah, uh, which hopefully will stay. I don't think they're going to change it. I think Grosjean can complain as much as he wants. He's actually leaving the sport at the end of this year anyway. But um, I, I think they'll stick with it. And as Nate said, um, more often than not, if drivers do say something controversial, they're asked 
immediately afterwards in the TV mm-hmm. pen. Where they can make you know, it right. About what you said. And so Max Verstappen, there was an example of that uh, in Portugal where he said some uh, stuff, which I won't repeat, but um, you can find it easily if you Google it. Um, and uh, he was asked immediately afterwards in English in an interview, um, you know, do you, are you worried about what you said? It's quite offensive. And he said it's not his problem. So that tells you also a huge amount about Max's kind of overall view on, on what he says and, and what it means and stuff like that. So, um, but they are usually given the opportunity to apologise and if they want to, you know, they can. Lando did it off his own back. You know, he went out and uh, kind of apologised on Twitter, albeit I think that was actually first stuff said to the media, but still, you know, it's it, the opportunity's there. So I think, um, yeah, it's great. L- long may it continue. Yeah, and we're, we're always saying that there's not enough human characters in F1 and that's that's the way to get them. Um and so just on that Alonso Alonso story I've heard from people at McLaren that he said that GP2 line about four times in a row in that race, you know, the same thing. So he obviously knew one of these is going to get picked up and listened <laughs> to and broadcast and the team was saying can you stop saying that. So you know, f- from that perspective some of them are quite clever with it. I was just thinking while Lawrence was speaking I was thinking of some of my favorite one-liners. You had um Lando singing that it's it's Friday then Saturday Sunday what <laughs> I yeah. don't even know what the name of that song is but there was one we we had Nico Hulkenberg on the pod a few weeks ago and one of my favorite radio messages he was flipped on the roof of his car in Abu Dhabi and then he for some reason they they went to his radio and he said oh I'm hanging upside down like a cow and I always remember <laughs> that like I was like, it was just such a such an odd thing for him to say in that moment but you sometimes get these funny things where obviously the first thing that just comes into their head they say um so you, you get that side of it as well where you get some funny stuff you get some serious stuff you get some insightful stuff there it was great as well in um in Monza when you had signs was chasing Gasly and you could hear in his radio messages you know you had Tom Stallard his engineer saying look we're in second and signs was saying Tom I want this win and you could hear and it made that the end that end of that race was still so thrilling anyway but the fact you could hear signs and how much he wanted it and we didn't hear anything from Gasly which for me was was a great part of that as well because it was it was like well how's he getting on you didn't know so I think it adds so much to it so like Lawrence says it should absolutely should continue and um I mean Grosjean's only got three races left anyway so I don't think oh sorry four races left so um you know he doesn't have to say anything for those four races if he doesn't want to yeah I, I absolutely love it as well I think it does bring that human element to these guys and obviously F1 is unique in having that and it's it's hard because say you know maybe like football and and cricket to an extent etc other sports you can go out there and see the athletes but now they're already so heavily suited up helmet on they're already in a car so you you sometimes forget that there's all this emotion and stuff going on there and as you know Nate said it's it's great to hear some of the you know scenarios and stuff going on there the little songs and Max telling people to hydrate and those little you know quirky things or it helps you yeah or it helps you you know appreciate certain people as well like um like you said uh, with Lewis how he's able to just troubleshoot himself there or make calls you know and and almost you know what you what feels like you're overriding your own boss but then in the end you see it, it pays off and then you go geez that's why Lewis Hamilton's Lewis Hamilton I think it's definitely something that should continue and, and hopefully they do as you say sorry Roman but it's it's one of the parts that we're campaigning for it to be here to stay <laughs> and we had we had holy mac and cheese balls from yeah. Danny Rick last week his his are always pretty entertaining when he gets a podium because I, I think want, he you know I want a radio yeah. box on Danny Ricardo all day every day just let me know what he's doing now like if you know just if he's singing in the shower to just what he says having breakfast I want that radio box and it's brilliant it's like being a, a fly on the wall so or a fly in a very, very fast car. 
So that's brilliant. Hopefully that does indeed continue. Sorry, drivers, but we absolutely love it. And speaking of drivers, as um, Lawrence mentioned earlier a little bit, that Lando Norris has had to apologize for a thing or two in recent times. One thing that he shouldn't apologize for is coming up with a new esports team called Quadrant. And I mean, guys, has there ever been something more Lando Norris than this? Like this was just bound to happen. If it's one good thing that's come out of the coronavirus pandemic, it's obviously Lando in lockdown just reigniting his love for esports, and now he's got his own team, which ironically is kind of like um, Roman Grosjean. <laughs> yeah, it is very Lando Norris, isn't it? And um, Norris is actually, I think, for me, one of the kind of guys from this year that's really shone in a lot of ways. You know, he's really excelled on the track. Lawrence mentioned it just a second ago in how he went out of his own way to apologize for comments he made when he didn't need to. Um, and you compare that to how other drivers have reacted, namely Max in that incident. Uh, with Lance Stroll, I think he's really been quite impressive. And what's, what you, I spoke to him earlier in the year and he said that um, esports has really helped him, I think, discover himself, become his own man a bit and just learn that he can he can kind of convey his personality and his opinions and all of that in, in, a, in a forum that he enjoys, which is, you know, streaming races, talking to people. It's not a world I really um, understand that much. You know, I play games every so often and I'm pretty bad at them. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's, it, it's cool to see and obviously it, it reaches a new group of fans that F1 um, hasn't been good at reaching previously so um, yeah good on him I, d- I don't know who's on his team I think it's called it's called Quadrant right yeah mm-hmm. um, so uh, I know Fernando Alonso has one I know that Grosjean has one I think a few other guys have one so it's all pretty interesting I don't know where I'm not even going to pretend I know where <laughs> where the future <laughs> of esports is going um, yeah it's pretty cool I, I know he, he and Max do a lot of endurance esports races together so um, I don't know whether that means they can't compete together now anyone who's an esports fan can obviously tweet us and let us know that we're talking complete nonsense now uh but i don't know well we'll see exactly i mean lando's got uh, i think (laughs) easily over six hundred thousand followers i believe he had it um when he was streaming and he did say it's his new passion and he just in lockdown i mean we all say let's challenge each other and learn something new and this is something that he definitely took to another level so as i was saying there's not been anything more lando than this this was about time about time lando so definitely happy to see him do that. It shouldn't take away too much from his racing, as he did say, because as Nate says, he seems to really have come into his own or started. So that was a question that we had at the start of the season, if we were going to see him, I suppose, mature a little bit in terms of decision making and become his own man. And he really has shown those signs. So love me some Lando Norris. Right. So I think it's perfect time. We have one more final news story, but I think it's the perfect segue to go into what we can expect from Turkey and what we're looking forward to in this Turkish Grand Prix coming up this season. And that is that, dun dun dun, Lewis Hamilton, surprise, will have his first chance to equal Michael Schumacher's record of seven Formula One championships this weekend in Istanbul. Um, We all kept wondering, not if, but it was just a matter of when Lewis was going to be able to do this. It's looking like it could be Turkey now. From what we can expect from Turkey, guys, um... How, if at all, do you see, I suppose, setting the stage for Lewis to achieve this feat? So for it to continue to the to the races in Bahrain, Bottas has to outscore him by eight points. Um, so if Lewis finishes ahead, he wins the title. And if, if he finishes behind Bottas and within seven points, then he wins the championship. And given the way the season's gone, you wouldn't really bet against that happening. So it seems like it would be this weekend. Um and I know it's kind of it's kind of nice, you know. He set he set all these records at, at new venues, so it's kind of you know places that are maybe one offs or are returning races. 
you know, Nurburgring was where he obviously surpassed Schumacher. So, um, yeah, well, I, I suppose without fans there, it kind of takes away the achievement a bit because it, I, Lawrence and I have both been there in, in Mexico and, and, and in Austin when he's won it. And, it, you know, the, the buzz around that, even if it hasn't been the finale, has been really cool. So that does kind of take away from it a little bit. But like you say, with it's not exactly like we're surprised at the outcome. Yeah, um, well, I suppose now we can just look straight ahead um, to what we can expect, I suppose, for, for Turkey. Um, as I hinted, it was just a matter of when Luis was going to be able to do this. And I don't think many will go against um, betting against him rather this weekend to get it in Turkey. But what does this mean for everybody else then? What kind of um, circuit we're we expecting at Turkey, Lawrence? Um, what have you heard? Yeah, well, the last time we raced there was 2011. So it was a, it was a while ago now. And the cars are quite different. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on there. We know they're a huge amount faster. And that's um, created some intrigue around the famous turn eight there, which is like a quadruple apex left-hander that used to get a lot of um, fuss when F1 first rocked up there and drivers you know, were saying, can you take it flat, can you not? And in these cars, it's likely to be flat out. But the G-forces through there are going to be huge. So... That'll be interesting to watch and also um, see what kind of toll the tyres take through there because we've seen on a number of occasions this year that the tyres um, have been punished pretty hard by the aero load and the kind of G-forces these cars are able to produce. So we'll see what they can do there. Um, it's I think it's actually a pretty good track. It's one of those tracks that kind of fell off the calendar for financial reasons. It's a Herman Tilke design track, so it will look quite familiar in some places to a lot of the other modern circuits like Bahrain and um, uh, various other ones that we've been to recently that have escaped uh, my mind right now. But um, it's, it's, it's a cool circuit and it's got a, that kind of very fast section, middle sector. Uh, it's got an interesting turn one downhill, but the thing that kind of ties it all together and kind of makes it is a really slow section at the end, which allows drivers to get a bit closer. And we saw in the past that would create opportunities either to overtake in that relatively slow sector towards the end of the lap or to create a move down into turn one. And actually a lot of those moves would even start as early as turn eight and then they'd kind of um, position their cars into a chicane, onto a straight. And there's a lot of opportunity to race there. So I think it's great to have it back here. Um, it's been talked about as one of the potential replacement venues for um, uh, for Vietnam next year. And I know that the uh, promoters at Turkey are keen to get it back on the calendar um so that would be cool um and istanbul looks like a really fun place to go i've never been and i'm a little bit disappointed i don't get to go this year um but uh yeah it would be cool it'd be cool if it comes back on on the calendar because i think it's an interesting interesting venue and place to have in formula one I know, I've always wanted to go to Istanbul so badly, man. And it's also one of the few places Jamaicans can go without a visa. So I'd be home clear and here we are in another lockdown. But it's okay, Istanbul, one day, one day we will get there. Uh, well, first, I mean, now we definitely have to get through um, some of your predictions, but your predictions do go hand in hand with Nate's ball prediction. So we'll get to that in a bit. In the meantime, as we said, we've been, it's been almost a decade since we've had um, Formula One in Turkey. So... Um, things have changed, as Lawrence just pointed out, so it'll be interesting to see what our pit stop predictions were. We'll go straight into those as well. Daniel says, the long-awaited podium finish for Nico Hulkenberg. Does he know, Does Daniel know something we don't? Well, so I just looked at, I just looked at social media, so oh. Roman Grosjean missed his flight today to Istanbul, 
Uh, but he's he's got back he's got a backup. But everybody was joking like, oh, well, you know, get get Nico Hulkenberg involved. <laughs> um, so Grosjean Grosjean he tweeted something like, oh, good start, RG. So you know, referring to himself in the third person. Um, so yeah, so maybe if Hulkenberg's there, maybe that's not. I mean, but then again, you know, in a house that would be that would be I quite a story. Say, no, he would need to be back in that racing point to finally just give us that prediction that we all know we wanted a couple of months ago. Amjad says Sebastian Vettel gets a podium. George Russell gets in the points and points, he says. So as in more than one point. Oh, interesting. That's something that we've been campaigning for. Seb Vettel gets a podium, though. That's um, that's a that's really, really optimistic. That's very optimistic, especially um, considering the better of the two Ferraris has been Charles Leclerc, who's been absolutely brilliant so far, given the, the struggles we know the car has. George, not George Russell, as I said, says Ferrari being back at Massa and they will dominate the race and score a massive victory. These are some... What was everyone doing during this break for these kind of predictions? Because, wow, they must be having some wild dreams. Felipe Massa was particularly good at Istanbul Park. It was one of those circuits where he just, you know, got the better of Schumacher there and got the better of his uh, teammates there when he was racing there. So... Um, I guess that's where that one comes from, but um, <laughs> chances of him making a comeback, even exactly. if it is a, his favourite circuit of all time, <laughs> is pretty slim. But you know, you, he you could come dream, back right? and be like, "Look, this is my favourite circuit. Put me in." We'll yeah. see <laughs> if if that is the case. Then no, we have to have Nico Hulkenberg back. Um, Daniel asks, "How many seconds will Mercedes finish in front of the field? Eighty, ninety, or a <laughs> hundred?" <laughs> say eighty. Let's be optimistic. Well, <laughs> that's optimism for you. Rohit says Verstappen, Norris, and Perez for the podium. Where's Lewis and Valtteri? Good race. Mercedes. That'd be a brilliant race. That'd definitely give us something. Um, Erasmus says rain and chaos. Is rain predicted for this weekend? Chaos, I mean, could be any weekend, rain or not, but don't know. But that's what he's predicting. <laughs> <laughs> Scuderia F1 shock says Sebastian Vettel podium. This is the second Seb Vettel podium prediction we're having. Guys, right? you gotta you gotta give it up. You just I... gotta give it up about Seb. <laughs> like I, I I know people love him, but it's just not gonna happen, is it? Like it would take something pretty special, and that's not next gonna happen year. this year. But it's, yeah, it's probably got a better chance next year. Exactly when it goes to Aston Martin. Yeah, next year that car is gonna be probably more competitive than uh, the Ferrari this year. So Seb will have the last laugh. For sure. He's just biding his time. David Ellum says, crazy predictions. How about Haas winning in the rain? That's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. That is a pretty crazy one. Um, Going to some of our Facebook predictions now. Stefan says, both Mercedes and Verstappen crash together at the start of the, at the start and a great race is on. (laughs) With Danny Ricciardo winning it in a photo finish in front of both McLarens. Well, it's fair to say that if you take out the, two Mercedes drivers and Verstappen, you do usually have a really good battle behind. Uh, a bit like what we saw at Bonza, I suppose. But um, yeah, it, it, you can kind of imagine that yourself. Just use a bit of imagination, minus the top three, and then you have your battle for fourth. Um, you know, it can make races a little bit more exciting if you look at them that way. Well, Adam, Grabby Popcorns, has set out a wild scenario for us. Let me just read it. Um, but he does say, trust me on this one. Don't know who you are, Adam, but I'm going to try trust you. He says, Kimi is late to the grid, can't find his gloves and steering wheel, and he's got indigestion from munching down four gyros one after the other. 
Maldonado has to step in for Stroll, who's out with the Rona, and takes a worthy second place behind Grosjean, who wins with a 20-minute lead. Lewis has to settle for third place, but he doesn't complain about it or blames any, or doesn't blame anyone or anything. He just takes it on the chin. Trust me on this one. Wow. Yeah, I'm not going to trust Adam on that I one. Know. <laughs> Adam, I'm not trusting you there on this one. Andrew says, Max to win and Alex Albon on the podium. That's someone we haven't spoken about, I suppose, in a in almost two weeks now. <laughs> but yeah, no chance, judging by Nate's face. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy that. Sorry, Alex. I don't buy that. There's, uh, while we're talking about Alex, uh, Red Bull did a really bizarre promo this week where they had they had Alex and Pierre sat by a river in Istanbul. I don't know what the game was. It looked like they were playing backgammon or something. They're in their full race overalls. Lawrence probably knows the, the game. But it just, for at a moment when you haven't confirmed Albon's future and Gasly has been tearing it up and the internet is full of people that make memes just at the drop of a hat, I don't know what Red Bull were doing because I've seen about 50 <laughs> photoshops of that. You know, people saying, oh, Gasly can still win and Albon still wins type thing. You know, like, I don't know what they were doing with that. Because, you know, especially when the guy doesn't know if he's driving for the team next year, it seemed a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, it seemed oh, very strange. Right. Like, surely you just bring in Max to do that promotional thing. I don't understand why it was Pierre and Alex. It just, like, set a lot of rumours alight um, as we go into another weekend. And, again, just puts a little bit more pressure on Alex. We talked about in the last... Um, podcast and I said how well he's doing in front of the media but not so well on track but the more you just kind of give the internet uh, ammunition to fire back at him the more they will so yeah yeah and last year decision there last year before the Hungarian Grand Prix which was the last race Pierre had at Red Bull they all went on this (laughs) this Red Bull trip where they all dressed up in lumberjack uniforms and were throwing axes around so right after they dropped Gasly you had all these pictures of of Albon throwing an axe towards Gasly and it was like why why did you even give the internet that like what what, you know what are you even thinking so it's a very strange one the internet remains undefeated so much so that you should see some of these last quick predictions that I'll go through um, Mike says turkeys will waddle on the track in Turkey. See what you did there, Mike. See what you did there. Um, Lightning Media says Lewis Hamilton to announce his retirement after the season. Wow. Hmm. Well, no. that's, that's still I know up it's in up the in air, the air which know. is why. Hmm. But surely, would he just bow out knowing he's equal Schumacher's record when literally the stage is there for him to beat it and then be like, peace out, mic drop? Well, that's a big question, but he's left. He's opened that question up yeah. with with the comments he he put out there in Imola. Who knows? Who knows? Ken, um, speaking of Lewis, Ken predicts that Lewis will win by <laughs> five hours. He says he will lap everyone, and then he will be found having dinner when the second place driver finishes the race. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> sounds about right. Oh gosh, put some more respect on. Max or Valtteri's name, assuming that one of the two will finish second as they so often have done. Well, that brings us to Nate's bald, bald, bald predictions. I don't think they're going to be as wild as the ones that we just saw because I don't know what everybody's been watching, reading, hearing in the past break, but those were some wild ones, Nate. So where do you stand? So Turkey, people remember in 2010 is where Vettel and Weber collided. One of the standout moments of that year. Uh, I think Vettel is in a similar situation, uh, you know, going up against... We know that he's on the way out, so I'm going to predict that he and Leclerc collide in the same place uh, as Weber and Vettel did in 2010. It's 10 years on, perfect symmetry. Um, 
And I don't know, to be honest with you, it's been such a long season and I think I'm out of bold predictions because everything, I was going to say Russell getting a point, but that's not that out there. He could get a point. He's been close to it. Um, so yeah, let's say the two Ferraris colliding uh, at that. It's got to be at that exact same point as well on the rundown to that chicane. Otherwise, otherwise it's invalid. <laughs> wow, you're already voiding yourself. Um, Lawrence, care to follow that tact? Yeah, hard to follow that up. Mine's not really a bold prediction. It's just what I think will probably happen is uh, Valtteri finally gets it together. We've seen him show pace so often in recent races. Is leading the race and then whether Lewis gets the title or not, assuming Lewis is running second place, will depend on who gets the fastest lap. Because if Valtteri wins and gets the fastest lap, it goes to Bahrain. If uh, Lewis comes second but gets the fastest lap as well, then he wins the championship there. So they're going to have a championship battle almost based on fastest laps uh, and... Um, I think, you know, okay, it's not a true championship battle. We're not at the final race and it's going to be decided by that. But um, I think that would be um, that'd be quite interesting. And the first time the fastest lap point has really kind of made a solid difference. It's actually mattered. In that Lewis secures it one race earlier or one race later. Um, but still, I, mean, no, ask... I, I reckon that could be quite interesting. Another prediction, Lawrence. If Bottas wins, does he say to whom it may concern or not? I think he's learned that lesson. I, I think uh, I think after what you and uh, JM said to him uh, yeah. after the Russian Grand Prix podcast, and you weren't alone, let's face it, a number of people raised that point that it seemed a little bit out of place and you were kind of proved correct that he hasn't gone and won a race since. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine he probably won't. But I don't know. It is Valtteri, so you never know. Sometimes it just... just Honestly, though... I think he will. I'm going to say he will. If you're gonna flick okay. off people, that wasn't that was a, the the most polite way to do it. But um, you know, others others would have resorted to other tactics. But Nate was quite right. That was one of my favorite Nate rants. I think of this season, to be honest, because Nate was just yeah, like it was, it was a that meme. One. You know, the one where the girls just like, what? That was Nate. That was Nate. Perfect. Well, I think that's gonna. Any final thoughts, guys, before we wrap things up and get ready for Istanbul? Lawrence looks like he's pondering, but Nate's shaking his I've head. Used, I've, so. used, I've used all my thoughts up. You've used all your They're thoughts all up. There's been quite a lot to unpack today, but I suppose we did have a break. And then with the calendar, there's still so much more to continue discussing. We will definitely discuss those in other episodes. But for now, we are looking ahead to Turkey this weekend. Thank you guys for listening to, listening to our preview pod today. Make sure you can catch all of the action from the Turkish Grand Prix. If you're in the USA, live on ESPN, it starts at 5.10 a.m. I know it's a a bit early that's eastern time but still tune in and then listen to us right after as we break down all the action that we see or the action that we didn't get to see 